fellow book lovers. You're listening to Books Before Bros, the podcast where we tear into our most beloved young adult and fantasy books and discuss all the juicy details of our favourite pieces of fiction. I'm Charlotte Mannion. And I'm Emma O'Quinn. And in today's episode, we're going to be reviewing the all-encompassing second book in the Crescent City series. And let me tell you, this is a wild one. But before we delve into the details, we're excited to welcome a very special guest to the show. She is a journalist, a writer, and a close friend of ours. Welcome to Marcella Hadbury. Hello, guys. Nice to be back. Hello. Welcome back. We couldn't have done the second one without you. I know. I know. I'm excited to be here. So it's going to be a fun one because it's going to be full of all the same criticisms as the first one. (laughs) So much to unpack. I didn't have many criticisms with the first one, but I really do this time. <laughs> I have I have a few a few moments where I was like, the fuck am I reading? Yeah. What mm. has this got to do with anything? And I didn't really have that with the first one. I really enjoyed the first book. It was like all new and shiny and like exciting. Um I think this one t- yeah. took me so much longer to read as well compared to the first one. It was just it did not flow very well at all. Mm-hmm. The bits that were on point were so good like I felt like the bits where she got it right and it was good and it was there and I was excited were brilliant but the bits that I didn't (laughs) want to read I was like god what a slog hashtag Ethan Mm. you mean right Ethan every time (laughs) Bryce Quinlan and Hunt Athalar have made a pact as they process the events of spring they will keep things platonic until winter solstice but can they resist when the crackling tension between them is enough to set the whole of Crescent City aflame? And they are not out of danger yet. Dragged into a rebel movement they want no part of, Bryce Hunt and their friends find themselves pitted against the terrifying Astro, who's noticed they must avoid at all costs. But as they learn more about the rebel cause, they face a choice. Stay silent while others are oppressed or fight, and they've never been good at staying silent. I can't believe I did that in one take. So <laughs> impressed. So proud of you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay, so we open up in the prologue to a completely different character than we've met before. We have no idea who she is. When I first read it, actually, I was like, wait, what am I reading? Did I miss something? Did part of this book, like, did, did I forget to read something? I've done this before, remember? I've read, I've skipped a book by mistake. I did it with the Shatter Me series. <laughs> so <laughs> at this point, I was like, wait, did I, did this happen? Did I forget something? I think I even messaged you and was like, who the hell is Sophie? <laughs> no one knows. Who the hell is Sophie? Yeah, and that kind of annoyed me a little bit. I didn't I didn't like it. I didn't it didn't flow for me. So much had happened in the last book that I wanted it to kickstart back with those characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Right. So what do you think star wise, guys? How are we feeling? Three. Ooh. Three. <laughs> Ooh, that's a strong score. Wow. I mean, last but one chapter could bring it up like another half a point, but overall, three. Yeah, mine was definitely down there. I think mine was going to be a two star until that last chapter, last two chapters. So mine went up to a 3.5 because even though I loved that ending and I loved quite a bit of this book, I'm going to be critical, but I didn't dislike it. It wasn't anywhere comparable to the first one for me and 
I'm not going to forgive the things that I didn't like about it just because I thought that ending was really cool. So I went with 3.5. I went with a 3.6 because honestly, I thought it was still better than the first book. Really? Like that first book, that first book, it was such a slog to get through. It just, it was a nightmare. And that opening world building 200 pages was just so overwhelming that by the time it came to this one and we'd already established the whole world and the narrative, I was like, okay, I feel comfortable. I feel like I'm reading on a good pace now. So I think that's kind of what settled it. But honestly... I was going to give this I was going to give this more like a four until I wrote the synopsis out again and then thought, my God, what on earth is happening in this book? Like, while, while I think that the world building in the first book was a little overwhelming, once you got it, you got it, right? Yeah. And you were fully on board. Whereas with this one, it was the same amount of pages. It was the same amount of length. But we were missing that huge chunk of world building and important information. So we were just getting mindless fucking mm. drivel. See, though, I think when it came to, like, introducing the rebels and kind of adding the Ashtray details, like, it happened at so much of a better pace that I was able to consume it better. Like, I was able to follow it a lot better, which I think was the problem for the first book for me. So, yeah, it was a lot of it was kind of wasted scenes and it was still a whole big book where it didn't need to be. It at least had that kind of gradual teaching of the wider world. So I think that's kind of what what put me more at peace with it, I think. I didn't like it. (laughs) I found it really tedious i think if i had to give this book an unofficial slogan it would be what the fuck is the point but there are still some parts that i really like i'm really looking forward to unpacking this one actually i can't wait for the next book this is the thing right i don't know whether you guys feel the same dying for the next book oh yeah i'll wait for it absolutely but do i enjoy second reading this book no oh no when you think this is easily the worst series of the sarah j mass universe easily the worst which is saying something because her other two are so strong. It's so embarrassing, really. Like, she could have just done so much better and just, it just seems like she rushed it. I think she has so much more to give. It's going somewhere. How can an author rush a series when it takes her two fucking years to write a book? I oh, know, Sarah, come on. I mean, you do you, Sarah. I'm a fan. I will always be a fan. I will happily read anything you write except for the Game uh, Game of Thrones <laughs> the Glass series. No, you're going to have to read Throne of Glass now though because if they introduce it, you can't not know. You're going to have to, unfortunately. That's what it's Emma's so clever. for. She'll just tell me. No, but it's we like... might have to do that thing we did with Silver Flames when I just tell mm. you the entire plot but I'll have to do the entire Throne of Glass series. Maybe Em can do it. She's, she's much better at this than me. Yeah, I've not read Silver Flame because I don't like Nesta. No, I've not read Silver Flame either. <laughs> At the end of the last book, it was like this whole big crescendo of they're finally together, the Ashtray, this whole big threat, and you come into it and you're like, again, like Charlotte said, have I missed something? Like, where has this come from? Were these characters introduced and I just forgot? Which I couldn't have done because I went straight from reading the first book into the second book. And it's just not, like, I, I, honestly, it made me think, should I just skip this prologue entirely? I didn't, but I really wanted to, really badly wanted to. I never read blurbs before I start reading them because I just, I never, I never want to know what I'm going into. But the first line of being like, they've made a pact to keep things platonic, that would not make me pick up this book, not remotely. I get the whole old crackling, sizzling tension or whatever, but I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to read that because you know, reading the first one, oh, okay, so they clearly do get something together at the end of it. And then they Go and be platonic? I'm, why? That just would not entice me to read it. I want to read the romance. I want to read that they're dealing with their struggles, you know? Not that they've decided to be friends. Because that's what that sounds like. He took a missile for you. <laughs> Embarrassing, really. I understand they've got trauma. And they might have trauma bonded during the first book. But they're pretty level-headed people, actually. They're not like, yeah, Bryce is Bryce. But she's not stupid. No. It did, it made no sense. It was just to, it was just to create te- sexual tension. 
and an apparent slow burn. But we just had that. I don't know why. Cock tease, honestly. We will at some point try and talk about some things that we liked, but there's right in the notes specifically and specifically on the reread. I got to the end of this book and I was like, oh my God, my life is forever changed. But going back and rereading it and writing the notes, I was just like, but I was furious the whole time leading up to it. Yeah. And it's come definitely come through with this, with this podcast. So it's, it's going to be fun to not entirely gush about something the entire time but actually like pick it apart and stuff so that'd be that's good. so very rare for us it as is. well yeah, we are gushers we, we, <laughs> we tend to only talk about the ones we really love and you know what i do really love this book yeah or i did when's this in the a first series, whether this is like three four five six books i will not reread this one i think i'll skip it agreed Oof. the synopsis is long as fuck I know, because I've done this like full briefing document for it because it was essential to have to try and remember what happened. Bear in mind, I think we all read this back in April was the last time we all read this. Honestly, writing out this book in the synopsis was a pain in the arse. Such a big book. Such a big book. No, we really appreciate that, Em. Thank you. Oh, no, no, no. no! Don't get me wrong. I loved it because it meant I didn't have to reread it. It saved me that. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, so much stuff happened in this book. And I'm like, why? That was one of my things, all the people, and she's always had a way of having so many people in books, mm. and for some some reason you still manage to follow a lot of them, I'd say, quite consistently. Um, but this one, it was like, let's add more people. And I was like, dear God, I don't think mm. my brain can cope. And I tried really hard to want to know more about these characters. One thing that was very clear to me is that if Bryce didn't like someone, I didn't like someone. Mm. And if Hunt didn't like someone, I didn't like someone. I don't know. I feel the opposite. I loved Cormac from the very moment he was introduced. I was like, this is the type of antagonistic really? character that we needed, that this book so desperately needed. Whereas Danica cannot stand Danica. I absolutely hate the bitch. The longer you go on in these two books... I think the more you realise that she might have been a really good friend to Bryce, but actually I'm not entirely sure she knows what being a good friend was. Uh, she was half of a good friend. She spent the... far too much time trying to protect her from things and keeping secrets from her. And all it did was lead her astray. All it did was cause her more problems. Bryce didn't really know who she was. No, not at no. all. Considering how close they were. And it's so interesting that you you loved Cormac. I didn't like dislike Cormac you, you could tell that she wasn't going to marry him so yeah. you could tell he was just there to be antagonistic I kind of enjoyed mm. his commentary what did, I... did he bring anything special to the book no I enjoyed him calling her out at every opportunity telling her to grow up and to just get over herself I feel like she needed to hear that from someone she just it was necessary for her character growth annoyingly meant nothing in the end anyway but at least he tried <laughs> at least someone he, tried he, he gave it a go what did you guys think of like the the new POVs we got in this book? Because obviously in book one we got Bryce, we got Hunt and Rune, and in this one we get Tharian and Ethan. And I will reserve my comments for the end. But what do you guys think? I enjoyed Tharian's. I could have done without it. I couldn't care less. <laughs> I've never read a book about mermaids before, believe it or not. Like never read it, and so it was interesting to kind of see that dynamic because I thought obviously the first book was House of Earth and Blood one of the four houses this one sky and breath that made me think okay well at some point they're gonna have to do the house of many waters so does does this mean that this is the nice kind of tease that we get and at the meantime i was like how are they going to do this the water side of things the water house is boring as fuck so boring how on earth are they going to make that interesting so i think it was nice to kind of subtly introduce it but yeah ultimately nothing ethan's were just a waste of everyone's time i'm glad we agree i'm glad we're all in agreement that you could take Ethan completely out of this book and it wouldn't make a difference. 
The fact that they tried to reintroduce him as an alternative sad puppy following her around was just boring as fuck. I hated Ethan <laughs> so much more in the second book than I did in the first one. In the first one, I kind of gave a little bit of pity to him, I think, because he was young and led in a, in, in a direction of how he should feel about like his brother's death and and Bryce's involvement with his brother and Danica and all that kind of stuff. But in the second book, I was like, why are you so pitiless? He's very much a sad sack. You know that bit at the beginning when he's all bloodied and beaten and he's been like dumped in Bryce's apartment because he's been kicked out of his pack? I wrote in my notes, if he'd have died here, would I have been sad? The answer is no. <laughs> they really could have just killed him off at the beginning to drive some like Bryce tension to make her like want to get some revenge and be a bit of a badass that would have been perfect he's a great character to sacrifice why is he still here why am i he why am i in his head why am i seeing him live in a house full of vampires and, and and visit mystics i don't care i really i have nothing against shrinks okay can we just put it out there that that, that cat dog thing is the light of my life He's and only can do no wrong. The only unproblematic character in this whole series is Syrinx. I'm a fan, yeah. like a huge fan. I want one. Sabine, dirt. <laughs> Hypaxia, I expect to see more from her later on. Yeah, I, I think I expected more from her in general. Yeah, in I wanted book. her to just be more and, and do more. and. Let's get into some spoilers, shall we? Okay. Spoilers. 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 Yes, the prologue opens as Sophie enters the death camp to save her younger brother. She succeeds and passes her brother off to her lover, who is Agent Silverbow. Interesting. Yeah. She ends up sacrificing herself to the um, one called the Hind. So we're immediately just introduced to a bunch of strangers. And I think we've heard of the Hind in passing. Everyone talks about her like with a lot of dread. Hunt has a lot to say about being at camps previously or working in different areas for the Astery. And coming across these people. Yeah, that they're... He said that, like, they're, like, worst nightmare kind mm -hmm. of people. So once that happens and you know that the hind kills Sophie, it then jumps back to the main cast, I guess you could say. The main yeah. cast's quest. To so the actual opening of the book that we wanted. Yeah. Yes, Bryce and Hunt. So yeah. we get back to Bryce and Hunt then, trying to live, like, a normal life after everything that happened. They've promised to lay low stay quiet yeah and sort of not make a fuss of themselves with so, this ridiculous like vow of celibacy that yeah. makes absolutely no sense even though they're still teasing each other all of the time it's not as if they're like no 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 we're just going to be friends it's like no 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 we're just waiting why why <laughs> there is no reason there is no reason it doesn't make sense to me and i think it was a really stupid part of the book yeah but i'm guessing that Hang on a second. Was it needed in the sense of after they did do this, they declared themselves mates? So would it have been too soon or not as viable or like not as explosive enough if, if it hadn't have waited? But like even introducing that in a way of, oh, we've decided to cool off because we've realised the way we've gotten together is not the healthiest. So let's just try and, you know, be friends again. Because bear in mind in the last book, they... They lied to each other constantly. Never mind Hunt's betrayal in the last book, you know, of, you know, working with the rebels, etc. 
you know, they they didn't exactly come from a healthy place. If they'd just been like, let's work on being friends again and trusting each other and then see where this goes. Even that would have made more sense. It probably would have made more sense. And knowing what you know when they become mates, I suppose, then it makes sense. But the whole time up and up until that point, it's just tension for the sake of tension and you're just not having a good time with it. Yeah. So they're at some kind of like party at Bryce's brother's house, Rune, chilling, getting back with their friends, the... Their friends are all there as well. So the mercenary is there. The fawn is there. They're all doing their stuff. Mm-hmm. And Cormac just appears. <laughs> <laughs> what a drama queen. I love it. I absolutely love it. The absolute audacity of this entrance does it for me. You like, might as well kick the door down. It was beautiful. I loved bitches. it. Crashes this party in like the most outrageous fashion as well of just like, hello, it's me. Hi, I'm the problem. <laughs> just bam. Might as well have set off confetti. But he is an additional problem. I'm going to marry you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just bizarre. I did get a little nervous because I've said it before. I'll say it again. They never end up with the first main love interest mm. in Sarah J Mass book. So I was like, here's a new dude. He's fey. He's he's appropriate for her and i was like no 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 <laughs> either way price decides she's not marrying him end of story yeah they go back to her house or her flat and then find ethan there half dead in her apartment i was like oh why can't we be full dead i mean this is like repercussions of what he did in the end of the last book when he was told by sabine to protect the pack and he went out of his way to go to bryce and help her deal with the hordes of demons coming in and you know protecting innocent people yeah i think we're supposed to feel sorry for him but how long was there between the first book and the second book for this to have happened because i feel like some time did pass why now why is he now just dealing with those repercussions? God knows, but it's it's definitely months. Yeah. There yeah. is months in between this. But well, no, yeah. We were supposed to feel pity for him and, and, and appreciate him more, I guess, for being like thrown out and having no one. I'm like, bought it on yourself. At this point, you you just started doing the right thing. And bear in mind, they, they've brought Cormac on to potentially be an additional love interest, make that a love triangle. And now Ethan comes into it. I'm like, is this going to be... Is this a love square? Is this a pyramid? Is this what this is now? Yeah, is he taking Connor's place? Was he just thrown in there to be an obstacle for Bryce and Hunt's celibacy? Oh, as if they needed more of that. I don't know. They were constantly coming to that, like, oh, we can't bang Ethan's next door. And I'm like, you weren't banging well, anyway. Is that the only reason he was there? I thought that was the point, <laughs> that you're not trying to bang each other. <laughs> and then it kind of skips. So we've we've gone back to our main characters. We've seen what's going on with Bryce and Hunt. We've sort of caught up with her brother. We've now been introduced to Cormac. Um, we've, we've found out that Ethan is almost dead, but all right, not quite dead. And then it sort of skips. So now we're, we're with Tharian and we're learning more about his search for Sophie that he was sent on by the River Queen. He locates the blocks she was drowned with, but her body's not there. Is she dead? Did did the chains break before and she managed to swim to the surface? What's going on with Sophie's body? Is she alive? Is she dead? I thought the potential of her being alive was really interesting. I really wanted her to be alive because I thought that's a bit of drama there. How has she somehow survived this? Yeah. She was trying to make me feel intrigued, but I was too like distanced from it. I didn't I didn't know who she was. I don't understand what's going on. And I'm, I'm, I was just a bit frustrated at this point, I think, early on in this book. So he also then learns that Sophie's brother Emil has escaped, but 
Farron isn't sure whether he's he's still alive or not. Mm -hmm. So Farron's search for Emile and Sophie is going on as sort of like an undertone to everything else that's going on at the same time. And then we get introduced to the fact that Hunt's got a new boss. So we know that Bryce absolutely destroyed the last dude by hoovering him up. (laughs) (laughs) Still my favourite part of the entire book. So here is the part where we're introduced to Celestina. Also, we learned that Hunt's sort of like two worst enemies are coming along with her, which is Pollux and Bastion. Obviously Pollux because he was part of the torture from when he was a slave and Baxian because I think he just hates him. I have no extra context for that man. They're part of my pain and suffering. Yeah, but we're like, does Hunt like anyone? So <laughs> I don't really know if I judge his, trust, his judgment. What's kind of cool, though, is Celestina apologises for the pain that Hunt suffered, then asks Hunt to show Baxian around. So he's sort of always there then. Mm-hmm. Have you noticed that kind of gives you the lead in for the fact that whenever Hunt's doing something, Baxian's just there. It just appears. Mm-hmm. He's always smirking. Yeah. Like, curiously. But you know how I how I do with, with characters that are too nice and friendly? I didn't trust Celestina. <laughs> You're more liable to trust like a grass snake than you are a bunny rabbit. Like... I have more faith in the Viper Queen. She was just buttering him up too much. Just too yeah. much. And the last time that happened, it was Mika, Micah, however you want to pronounce that dickhead's name. And it was it was all false. So I just thought the whole time, hell, what falsities is she hiding now? Yeah, I'm not even 100% sure why he was still working there. Yeah, no idea. If he was now like a, what if he was like a freed slave? Well, because he didn't want to, did he? No. He was he was just saying he's coming to help the transition. Why was he still there? What was he doing? Once we've got that bit under control and we learn that all these like bad guys are actually coming in that Hunt doesn't like, it's sort of triggering for him. We get flipped again. So we, we change point of views again. And we're back with Farian asking Bryce about Danica's involvement with Sophie and you learn that they've been like emailing and keeping touch and we're like wait this is another thing that Danica kept from Bryce oh here we go it's Danica again are we surprised guess who's back Danica's back I don't know about you but like man if I kept this many secrets from you you would lose your shit right well you'd better be dead because I'd kill you how does she have the time for this? Honestly, she's hunting down the horn. She's protecting the city as a werewolf. And now she's emailing rebels. Where does she find this? Oh, never mind. She's going out and getting high all the time and like living a crazy life with Bryce. Like, where does she get this fucking time? Is she not sleeping? She must have more than seven days a week. Because oh especially the fact that it's, it's kind of been common knowledge that Bryce and Danica are always together. That's just, it's crazy. And it, and it winds me up. We realise that she's been emailing with Sophie. The group then learns that Cormac is actually Agent Silverbow. This was wild. Interestingly enough. Yeah, who is Sophie's lover. Wild. Who had taken Emile from her, saved the brother. I've got to insert something about the audiobook here. Because if you were listening to this and you hadn't read this, you would have had this spoilt for you straight away. Because in the beginning, the guy that does the voice of Silverbow has an Irish accent. No. And then the second you're introduced to Cormac, he has the exact same Irish accent. So I was a bit like, if you hadn't read this, on paper and this was your first time that is ruined for you i completely forgot how the fuck did he lose emile because i realized that when i was writing out the synopsis like if he's agent silverbow he took emile from sophie how the fuck has he lost him it's really skirted over right i remember there was boat but i don't know what happened to silverbow Cormac is actually agent silverbow and is trying to find emile before the radical rebel group that pippa is trying to like use as a weapon. So the the rebel group that's run by this Pippa dude is trying to use Emil as a mass weapon 
against the fight against the Astro and Agent Silverbow trying to find him first. But he did have him and then he lost him. And obviously this is because they're what they call Thunderbirds. Like they're humans, but they have powers. Well, there yeah. was a lot of a lot of this was was putting faith in a lot of rumour. Yeah. I mean, it was like they're rumoured to be Firebirds or Thunderbirds, whatever it was. And like, but no one has any proof or any evidence. We're just, we're, we're hedging the entire success of a rebel army on whether this dude might have Thunderbird powers. I hated the name Thunderbird as well. It just, rem- it literally reminded me of the Thunderbirds. And I, all I heard every time I read it was the theme tune. Every single time. <laughs> do, 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 do. Does he turn into a rocket? <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> Okay, so at this point, it's like, all right, all these different things are going on. You had him, you lost him, you're trying to find him. He kind of convinces Bryce to help. So we have a brief moment here where Bryce is talking to the Prince of Hell again. In his cat form, because he just arrives and Ethan's just like, hey, kitty, like, all right. Yeah, Ian was petting him. Let's not talk about how weird that is. (laughs) And then Bryce manages to convince everyone else to help Cormac. So this is where, under the radar trying to keep themselves still out of the Astro's, like, orbit. They're trying to find out what the fuck's going on here. And Varian um, might have manipulated Bryce a little bit here, knowing that she'd be interested in finding out more of Danica's secrets. Oh, for sure. And wouldn't want a poor human boy. Well, let's let's be honest, they want her help as well. She's she's powerful now. She's no longer this human with nothing fucking powerful hunt wanted her to have no part of this and this is the one little bit of slack i'll give hunt for his alpha wholeness it's because he could see through this i think and he, he was he was basically using bryce because he knew that she would want to help mm-hmm. as soon as she heard danica's name he had her obviously like bryce was gonna have to get involved that's the whole plot of this book but at the same time mad respect to hunt for just being like no we've had enough of this we almost died <laughs> we almost died the last time we did this let's not do this again At this point, we then move on to part two of the book. Mm-hmm. So all this has happened in the first part of the book. I wish I could say part two was the last of it. It's not. There is a part three. There's five parts. There's five parts? There's five, five parts. parts? Wow. What the shit? So the second part is the abyss. Yeah. Right? This continues as Bryce and Hunt go to the bone quarter to confront the Underking. This just never seems like a good idea. No. Uh, there they learn about this horrible this gutted me the most i think mm. this like whole life is a lie situation they learned that the eternal peaceful afterlife that they come to expect when they die is a complete lie and actually if you make it across the water safe and accepted by them you then just go into a whole new life of servitude all over again it's not a good thing that this first light that they use to power the city, to power everything in there, to power their own powers is just the first wave of it. That instead the dead turn into second might just to get cycled back into that whole system. Crazy. Yeah, it's fucked up. I love yeah. this bit. This was like the, this was the peril that I needed because the, the whole werewolves, they're all meant to be over there and Danica obviously sacrificed herself. So she got turned into second light early so that Bryce could live. Nuts, absolutely nuts. No, this was the plot I wanted. This is what I'm here for. It gutted me. In like the best way. Don't get me wrong. We needed it. And we needed there to be more than just, oh, you've done your thing. You've sailed across. You've met the Bone King happily ever after. Mm -hmm. This was exactly like you said, exactly what we needed. Mm -hmm. Like it was 
tragic as fuck. Yeah. I've put a little note here about Jessica because this is the first time we've really met like the Underking. And now we've learned about the second light and it's insanely fucked up. And he mentions how he, he takes a little taste every now and again because he's like feeding on the energy and it's it's disgusting. And Jessup is built up to be this like scary, angry, dangerous character, but we've never disliked him. We said this, we said this in the last episode. We actually really like Jessup. I don't think there's any reason for her to have defected to the House of Flame and Shadows to serve the Underking unless she's got an ulterior motive. <laughs> she knew Hunt's dad. She knows the kings, uh, the princes of the underworld. She was uh, charged with looking after this like secret fucking library that tells mm. the like the the entire history that the Astri don't want to be revealed what's her deal she is bigger than we think and yeah. she's going to become more important than we think i hope so but in the meantime this trip to the like underking leads into one of the best bloody battle scenes between two people i i have ever read i was so excited i was like power reading this at this point i was like yes go on the fact that bryce and hunt combine their powers as well mm-hmm. that he can supercharge her <laughs> like it <laughs> yeah this was one of my favorite bits kind of sort of crazy though is that we get to the end of that and again we flip characters again and we flip points of view again and i didn't want to at this point i wanted no. to hold on to that yeah. yeah this felt really disappointing to me that we then went back to agent daybright telling rune um when the rebels will attack so rune has become like this double agent at this point and he is like He's communicating her through his telepathy, which is wild. We have no idea who Agent Daybright is, but her and Rune have this like crazy chemistry connection thing going on, I think. I'm smiling very broadly. I love this was my favourite part of the whole book. <laughs> I think it was a really, really beautiful part of connecting characters. But yeah, so he's talking with Agent Daybright and she's telling him when the rebels will attack the train coming in. Uh, with all the dangerous Astori weapons. And then obviously he passes this information on to Cormac, but things get complicated as the Hind and Murdoch arrive in the city because Celestina is being like linked to another... She's being married off, isn't she? Yeah. Well, basically, yeah. They mentioned in the first book that how they have mates that they effectively choose for themselves, as in they find it for themselves that the angels mate but it's chosen for them usually and he's coming into town and it's a big deal and then these guys come with him because hunt is like fuck me sideways now there's four of them so at this point everyone regroups everyone's back together everyone knows the information that they've got so far which is so much information now hunt attends the celebration for celestina's mating ceremony however sabine attacks bryce for harboring ethan you find out then that they hadn't dropped Ethan off with her. Uh, one of the other werewolves did that. Amelie. Amelie? Yeah, I think she did that. No, I think it was a guy called Peter. He was just another random werewolf as part of it. Yeah, just... Peter? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Who the fuck's Peter? Who the fuck's Peter? <laughs> You've got all these absolutely wonderful names like Celestina and like Ethan, because I'm going to just refer to him as Ethan from now. And then you've got Peter. Love a good Peter. <laughs> Good for you, Pete. Well done. So then Hunt leaves the ceremony, which really disappoints Celestina. But he leaves the ceremony because Bryce has been attacked. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because Sabine's an absolute bloody psycho. How does she come from 
nowhere. Bryce opens that door and she just launches out every single time. Like every single time. She's, she she's has no chill. psycho. She's got no self-control. No chill. I don't really like Celestina at this point either. No. Because even though, yes, she gave Hunt like an order and, and he let her down and she was disappointed and she punishes him for it. But I just think it's fucked up. He doesn't, like, he's not a slave anymore. He doesn't really owe her anything. He doesn't even work for and- her. He's filling a role temporarily. I'm sorry that he wasn't there to keep you company at your mating celebration. That's what your mate is meant to be for. He's not meant to be there for that. This whole time I'm thinking, is she in love with Hunt at this point? And he literally, she keeps, like, tries to keep him from Bryce's yeah. punishment. And I just, I'm not about that. Just more for in conflict more obstacles in the way it's like, yeah you know, so not a- hunt's punishment is that he has to stay at the barracks as punishment for missing the ceremony and he's not allowed to live like, what is he a child yeah stay in your bedroom and i think it's really short-sighted of her for not really thinking about the consequences of giving that kind of punishment to someone who used to be a slave mm-hmm. knowing Absolutely. that he never had an option to choose for himself and she's doing it again taking that away from him even though he's no longer a slave mm-hmm. and he earned that freedom. We then flick back to Bryce, Ethan and Tharian as they visit the astronomer. So you find out that this guy called the astronomer would use these people that he put in tanks and sort of use their powers, I guess, as like a conduit to search the world. The universe, the multiverse, everything. They see everything. Which is batshit crazy. Very, very cool. And I don't think we learn enough about it. But in doing so, they they essentially meet with Thanatos, who is another one of the seven princes of hell which which is already crazy i love that we're getting introduced to all of these characters so gradually and that they're all dickheads except for the little prince of hell that we like you know like it's it's adding so much more peril because you're like who are these people and when are they going to become a problem yeah so far i'm only okay with adus yeah mm-hmm. um and uh, and part of me still goes you know he's a prince of hell can he be trusted <laughs> but then we've got like a whole other like theory on these princes of hell right not yet no i just feel like i've been a bit set up about these princes of hell and all these different interesting things like this multiverse we can com- communicate with everyone but we're doing it all for the wrong reasons we're doing this because we're trying to i don't know sniff out information about a girl we don't know we don't even know what she looks like it's, it makes no sense to me yeah so we're aware then thanks to thanatos mm-hmm. uh that connor is still in the bone quarter and he has no idea of where or knowledge of emil can i send my tagline yeah what was the fucking point? <laughs> so we've got a bit of a tiny time jump. And Bryce learns that Danica was researching forgotten wolf lineage. So another thing she was keeping secret. All the information that was passed on from Agent Daybright has been successfully used. The rebels have attacked the spine. They've stopped that uh, connection to the Astri getting there mercenary weapons and all that kind of stuff, which is great. The, they then learn that the mercs are more deadly than you originally thought and that Pippa is wanting to kill all of the veneer. Yeah, so rather than just destroying these crazy powerful weapons, she's now like, how can we adapt them to use them for ourselves? It's not just about the Astri anymore and it's not just about keeping the humans safe. It's about wiping off the whole of the veneer, which is not good for the fact that... All of the main characters are veneer, (laughs) frankly. It's about winning rather than helping, right? Yeah, Not helpful. Mm -hmm. Hunt destroys the weapons, which is like... (laughs) And then everything just goes haywire. They're trying to get away from the rebels and just going nuts. And it's all tension fueled. The Hind rocks up out of bloody nowhere. Like, this this group are tracking these rebels. Yeah, and the Hind rocks up. And then the Hind is just like, you can't get away from us because they're in this tiny little rowboat in the river thinking, what the fuck is going on? 
and how how do we deal with all of this? And Hind just lets them go. Yeah, it's fishy. Yeah. Need to like not die because Hunt's like lightning's like going out of control. Yeah, Hunt's like I can do it, and they're like, "We'll all die. Don't do that. Stop it. Stop <laughs> We're in water, out. and you control like electricity. <laughs> this is bad. There's a lot of water here. Rain it in. But then these giant tentacle ships come out of fucking nowhere. <laughs> yeah, this is what like blew my oh. fucking mind. Where the fuck did they come from? So they're saved by these random people that are like, can, like that was something in my opinion. <laughs> How convenient. Yeah, super convenient. And the fact that the hind does quite seemingly let them go. Yeah. It's just a bit crazy, right? Yeah. So now they're safe on the ship. Uh, Hunt and Bryce learn their mates. After he's still going nuts with his powers. Because and the only way Bryce can calm him down is with sex. Like, this was all a setup. This whole celibacy thing, all a setup for this. So they like inadvertently like share powers, their magic through sex, and Hunt and Bryce learn their mates. What's kind of batshit is uh, like bringing it back is that while they're having this moment, the rest of the group learn that Sophie is truly, absolutely dead. Also, they they teleport like during sex, don't they? Yeah. And they, just, yeah. And they start having sex in one place and then they end up in another place. Like, <laughs> yeah, because they're having sex oh, in that garden and then they wake up in one of the like tunnels somewhere and it's yeah. underwater. This could have gone so wrong. They could have teleported into the ocean. I just want to point this out. Yeah. This could have gone really badly wrong mm-hmm. for them. And then they all, Cormac vows, Cormac vows to save Emil. Don't know how he's going to do, do it. I do, I do really feel for Cormac at this point because this whole time he's mm-hmm. felt hopeful that his love is coming back and she's dead now. Like, uh, that, that's kind of what convinced me that I actually really do like Cormac because he's not had an easy time with this. Can we talk about something else that is what the fucking point? Yeah. Which is the next part of the book where we then skip back to Ethan, fucking who up. goes back to the unnamed wolf mystic and searches for a way to save her. He's got it in his head that he needs to look after this wolf, do something with this wolf, can't let it go, blah, blah, blah. Um, and because he can't find a way, he decides to steal... The astronomer's fire sprites mm-hmm. learns one of them is an is an enslaved dragon named Adarin. Ariadne. Adam. What? Ariadne. I did actually look up how to pronounce this because I could not bloody read it. Ariadne. Ariadne. Yes. I was just a bit like, Fuck. why? Don't you feel sorry for Peter again at this point? <laughs> <laughs> There's making names up to make them more mystical and celestial. And then there's Ariadne. Ariadne. Right. Well, this whole scene, this whole thing, this whole arc, everything about the sprites, everything that they then do for the rest of the book, everything about Ethan. What was the fucking point? I don't know. If if this is all just setting up the next book or something else that's going to happen in this series, then fine. But it didn't mean I had to enjoy myself while I was reading it. Like, if this dragon ends up being important, fine. But I'm just going to be resentful of the fact that when I first read about her, I didn't give a fuck. See, at this point, there's too many characters. <laughs> there's way too many characters yeah. to follow at this point. Because we haven't even touched upon the likes of Faxia at this point. She's not even been in this so far. She was already an established character. And we're still introducing more fucking people. Okay, so we ended our last bit talking about the absolute bullshit of Ethan and the enslaved dragon and why the hell were we even here looking at this and is it important and blah 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 doesn't feel it no and then this opens up to part three of the book so at this point it's called the pit 
yeah, because we've run out of the seven hells <laughs> at this point. So, yeah, nice. I mean, you'd think if they were planning that, you would have planned a bit more with it. Yeah, maybe. But uh, all right. Um, it begins as Hunt confirms that the Hind has not told anyone about what happened near the island. So this is all really confusing now. So Hunt's like, why hasn't the Hind given away that I was here with these people? that I destroyed this machinery, that I even knew it was happening. Mm. Like, why? I mean, were you guys were you guys surprised that the Hind did this? I thought there was something else going on. It just, the whole thing, the whole thing seemed really sketchy because she hadn't done anything wrong since coming to Lunathian, despite the fact that we had seen her viciously kill Sophie. Mm-hmm. And obviously now that we know that she is actually dead, we know it wasn't this whole, oh, she's supporting the rebels in some way. No, she's, she's still killing them, but she hasn't told anyone why what is her agenda in this exactly she if she's not supporting the rebels but she didn't tell them that hunt was there and all this was going on what part was sophie playing actually like was sophie actually a good guy yeah she was working with the rebels but she wasn't with the rebels she was just using them for information to get to her brother so what was sophie's agenda this whole time and how does this fit in with the hind because sophie knew the hind or at least knew of the hind so where do they both fit into this yeah. It's at this point that we find out as well that Bryce reveals to everybody that she's promised the Viper Queen a favour for hiding Emil. Yeah. And that Emil has got no powers. In the meantime, they found Emil. What the, what the fuck? Yeah. Whereas we've had this whole search for this fucking child. And in the meantime, he's safe this whole time. Like, what? Yeah, we found him. And he's human and he has no powers. Surprise! And I kept it all from you, which makes total sense. It, it, no. What Again, was the point? what was the point? What was the point? Ugh. This is this is the the unofficial slogan for this book at this point. Yeah. Oh, I, I don't even feel like it's unofficial. Where is back to the first book when they were trying to find this horn, but we had no idea why we were looking for the horn or what the purpose of the horn was. We know that now, but uh, finding a meal gave us nothing. Oh. But like we knew the purpose of finding him, which is that everyone wanted to use him as this weapon. At least we knew the purpose, and then it comes to it, and he's not even the weapon. So the reason that they've made up for searching for him was a lie. It was just a lie. None of these people that wanted a meal knew why and they had not done their research if they had done their research they would have known he was not powerful it's all like they all wanted him because someone else wanted him yes what was so everyone jumped on the bandwagon of well they can't have him we must have him and in the meantime where the hell did sophie's powers come from then if it's not like a thing that runs in the family where did she get her powers was she part of the family because she definitely had them like we saw her use them in the prologue but with that that's actually stating the fact that we actually know for 100 percent certain that her and emil were actually blood related i suppose honestly if she reveals that as a twist in the next one then i'm just gonna lose it because i'm gonna be like genuinely then what was the point <laughs> what we haven't really touched upon because it was kind of so background to me at this point because so many other things happened in this book but obviously this is fury takes emil to her parents but in the meantime she's not really friends with bryce and neither is juniper because of that whole ordeal with juniper's dancing career and so obviously fury's like well hilarious enough furious with her (laughs) over that and in the meantime it's like you know trying to sell all of this information onto bryce but not actually telling her anything like, we know that Danica is also now hiding other things because Fury's figured it out. You know, in the meantime, we still don't know what Fury is because Danica figured it out, but Fury's still not telling anyone. It's just the whole thing is just shrouded in just so much lying 
and fakeness, even though they're all meant to be friends. I did hate this because we spent so much time in the first book kind of getting to know Bryce and, and obviously we'd lost Danica, but we were getting to know Juniper and Fury. And everyone's just curious about Fury. We want to know more about the about her. And I felt like we were sacrificed the whole female friendship element that could have been in this book too, just to surround her with all these men that did nothing but pine over her. Literally with the exception of her brother, every single one of these male narratives in this book is pining over her and it's... I've had enough of it. I get that she's beautiful and I get that she's hot and I get that she's amazing, but can we just call it on the Bryce is fantastic? And I guess the fact that her friends were mad at her kind of balanced that out, but we didn't get any of, any of them at all because of it. So we sacrificed the entire female friendship element that could have been in this book. It was just gone. But I'm not being funny, but what female friendship? Well, it says that they're friends and that they've got this close-knit circle, but actually, the more you look at it, all they did was drink with each other, take drugs with each other, go crazy. And everyone treated her with kid gloves because she was half-human. Mm. They didn't tell her anything. They didn't confide in her. She knew basically nothing about any of them. I guess I just didn't like that her, her female confidence or her female, I guess, counterparts were gone from this story. And we were just surrounded by pining men. It's like it's she tried so hard to make the men like lovable in some way or, you know, for you to enjoy them in some way. But then when it came to the female characters, I don't think she knows how to write them. Maybe not. Like they're all just so bitchy to each other. All of them. Every single female interaction in every single one of her series, aside from Akatar with more, is is toxic in some way. Then we move back again to Hunt and Bryce are investigating what hell might be planning, which is could be like, fucking anything at this yeah, point. Yeah, like we don't know enough about them. We don't know enough about the the rings of hell and the different princes to really get a good guess as to what they're planning. But it, it, it is at this point in the book where you kind of figure that potentially they're not the bad guys. Yeah, because like Ada, Adis is like basically trying to get her to look into the bone quarter and all of that nonsense and what the Astria are actually up to. So it's... Yeah, like what are they? What are they all up to? Who can we trust in this situation? I started to feel like I liked the Princess of Hell at this point because I thought maybe, obviously, they're still effectively demons. They're still not going to be good characters, but maybe they're not as bad as we think they are. Then quite a bit goes on at this point. So Queen Hypaxia asks Ruin to give uh, her a royal guard to protect her from the coven. So he agrees. So naturally, he gives him yeah. Ethan. Naturally. Obviously. Why would that not be obvious? I mean, the dude's doing nothing else with his life. Daybright warns Rune that Pippa may be planning to attack Crescent City. Ethan is attacked by a death stalker when Hypaxia and Bryce meet to talk by the river. He's really badly hurt. The women do all right for themselves but Ethan that big strong werewolf male at this point I do actually feel a little bit for Ethan like I've been hating on him this whole time but like that boy has been beaten down at every single goddamn opportunity mm. and I I do start to feel for him like that's quite a lot of hate he's getting from every single direction but he is fucking useless on the yeah. opposite side of that I was very much just like why do you keep teasing me with the possibility that he's gonna die just do it already <laughs> so then there's the ball and this is the ball that it's again for Celestina and her betrothed. And Bryce announces that she and Hunter are in a relationship so that the Autumn King can't... Oh, yeah, because they were going to they were gonna introduce Bryce and Cormac as engaged. That was what her father was going to do it to the Ashtree to be like, yep, look, see, this is happening. She's under control. And she just absolutely nuclear bombs that announcement with the absolute revelation that 
Hunt is her mate. I was so <laughs> for this. Like, come on, let's bring the drama. I thought this ball was very dramatic. That she just rocks up just smelling like another man. Like, look, yeah, <laughs> I'm no one's fiance. I'm someone's mate. Fuck you. <laughs> so that like forces the Autumn King's hand to acknowledge that it's there. They at this point though, the most like mind-blowing bit is that we find out that Hypaxia and Celestina are having like an illicit relationship. I did write here that I thought this was like surprising. But I wasn't like, like really shocked. I just, I said that I thought it was cheap shocks to try and cover up for the fact that we weren't getting a lot of plot here. The other thing that's happening at this ball is Ruin plans to meet Daybright in person. Yeah, I love this. It went full, it went full of Cinderella story, like meeting on the fucking dance floor at midnight. I was like, are you Princeton girl? (laughs) I loved this so much. But decides against it at the last minute when he sees the harpy and the hind waiting. And he later apologises to her for putting her in danger, but admits that he hopes that she is not as cruel as them. Just bombastic side-eye. Just bombastic side-eye. Hilarious. I, at this point, I had 90% surety of exactly who Daybright was. Yeah, you too, right? I had this about 17% of the chapter, like, of the book earlier. I figured out who she was a long time before this, but this just solidified it. I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> no. I, I actually loved this. I knew where this was going and I was looking forward to the to the revelation. I think I was in denial <laughs> more than anything because I was like, no, no. Things get worse when Hypaxia and Ethan come back from a trap that had been previously set for them by the Underking during their attempt to speak to Connor again. And say that Bryce must go to Erd's temple or Connor will be turned into second light immediately. Does it just feel like the plot's just, it's trying to rope things together really loosely. Like, we find out that Hypaxia is a necromancer, which leads to the fact that Ethan can use to talk to Connor, which leads to the fact that the Underking can manipulate them to go to this temple, which leads to the next thing. And it's, it's all just predictable and dull. At this point, Bryce Hunt, Hypaxia and Rune meet, at the underki- uh, meet the Underking at Erd's temple. Problem with this is that they learn that he's set him up to be killed by Pippa. This random woman that just keeps appearing everywhere. Yeah. Bryce is able to get Hypaxian Ruin out while baiting the Astery. So basically, because like the Hind is like following them and trying to find reasons for why they're rebels, like getting them in even more trouble, it seems at this point. And so she manages to get the Hind to basically rock up and kill all these rebels for her, which I do find hilarious. I did actually quite like this scene. I thought that was quite clever. Yeah. What was weird, though, is that Baxian turns up and saves her and Hunt, revealing at this point that he was Danica's mate. It's just more and more secrets. How many secrets does this girl possibly fucking have? How do you have a mate and not tell your best friend? How do you have a mate that you supposedly spend zero time with? Again, when did she have the time? It was bizarre. Like, it was just it was just a plot ploy to get us to trust him. Because obviously at this point we hadn't figured out what his deal was, but he was suspicious mm. and he was always lingering. So now it's just like, oh, I'm Danica's mate, you have to trust me. Why does Sarah Jamas always try and pair off everyone? Oh, for <laughs> God's sake, this is my biggest, biggest pet peeve. Everybody. Ever. This idea that mates are unique and special and, you know, should not be taken lightly and, you know, the destiny of being together and, and, and how delicate that balance is and how you might never find this person and then for some fucking reason sarah j mass is like you get a mate and you get a mate and you can have a mate and i'm like this annoys me 
why is it that because somebody has one somewhere, everyone else needs to get one? And this is what's pissing me off about Akatar now. Hmm. So mm. Feyre and Reese are together, so let's make sure that the other two get someone as well. It's like Sarah doesn't trust us to believe that they're in love without throwing the mate thing at us. Like, if you write it well enough, we buy it. We know that they love each other and we appreciate it. They don't need to be mates for us to follow that. Um. So yeah, he also reveals as well that before she died, she was obsessed with learning what was in a room in the internal city, which is where the Astery are. I feel we could have spent the whole plot of this book trying to figure out what was in that room, trying to figure out a way to get in that room, and that would have been enough for me. As soon as there was like, oh, there's this secret room in the Astery, but I was like, yes, something in that room is so fucking important. This room, whatever it is, Declan, one of the Fae, confirms that Sophie went in there. Don't know what happened in the room, but left with a horrified expression. So that gives us even just a little bit more of like, what is going on? It really got me. Like, yeah. What is in this room? If we'd have found that out in the first chapter, can you imagine if that was the first chapter? Sophie going into a room and coming out like I've never seen anything more horrifying in my whole life. Wholly different book. Entirely different book. Whatever's in that room, whatever Sophie was trying to do, that should have been a main focus. This was when the book started getting better. This is when the book started going from a two star to up to like, it was getting better from here on out. And it shouldn't have taken 80% of this book for this to start getting good. Tharion declares himself to the Viper Queen to escape the imprisonment by the River Queen. Fucking nuts. I loved this. Did you? I hated this. I did. I loved it. I feel like he just escaped one crazy bitch to get took in by another one. I, I am agree. getting weird Tharion Viper Queen sexual tension and I'm going to die on that hill. What? <laughs> what? No. No, I just no, liked no. it. This has turned him in from a nothing character with, with little going for him. Just a bit of snark to... I've got some real bad situation I need to get out of here. I'm now a slave to this crazy bitch, but there's also weird sexual tension there. So see, I'm looking forward to seeing where this plays out. See, I I thought the exact opposite. I thought this took him from an interesting character to an uh, to a nothing character because I don't think I ever oh, really cared about the Viper Queen anyway. So I love the Viper. The fact that he's now pledged himself to her when she's not really played a part in any of this aside from just being this supposed sexy bitch in the corner fucking things up for the sake of it, like. I, I don't see what we have to gain about this new pairing. I don't know what this adds to the story. All right, so this skips quite dramatically at this point back to Rune, right? Rune sleeps with Daybright in their mindscape, but panics when she is pulled away from him while shouting about the dungeon. Honestly, can I just, like, I literally wrote in the notes here, brain sex, vom. This was so... <laughs> gross to me this was really gross it felt like a via fucking lation like an absolute I violation <laughs> i knew you would have done i honestly as soon as this happened i was like god evan's gonna be absolutely buzzing right now i was buzzing and my my certainty of who she was went from 90 to 99 percent during oh. this scene yeah same same <laughs> but it's just it was just the brain sex like, honestly them having sex like nothing like that's fine yeah great i'm happy that he's happy i'm happy that you know this seems to be working out for him but having sex in their brain is not having sex. I'm sorry. It's just creepy. It's just weird. But this if they're going to throw another mate in here for Rune, then this this has given them an out because they can have sex in their mind without the without the uh, mating bond snapping into place. No, they, so. other, other authors don't need this kind of fuel to, to tell them that this kind of thing is appropriate. Charlotte's nodding her head in agreement. And I was like, I wanted more mind sex. So Holy shit. <laughs> when he convinces Bryce to go help her, the group decides that Cormac and Tharion will bait Pippa into attacking the lab. 
At this point, I did have a feeling of what was going to happen to Cormac. Did you guys? Yeah, at this point, they made him they made him too likable. He went from being a bit of an arsehole to being fully on their side. No one does that if they're not indispensable. If they're not going to die. It's another. It's a. It's a bit of a Crescent City thing now. It's like the, the yeah throwaway characters. So we're actually now getting to like the pinnacle part of the book. Yeah. The, right. This the, is the this is like the good bit. This is the juicy bit. This is the bit we've been climbing seven hundred fucking pages for. Cormac sacrifices himself to stop Pippa. But at this time, Bryce learns that the Astria are actually like parasites who have conquered many worlds before they came and. They use the energy of their victims to sustain themselves. I loved this. I loved it. Honestly, like if we can rate this book in parts, this last part of this book was easily a 4.5 for me. The rest of it was shoddy as hell. But this part onward was just so exciting. So here one for this. Moment in One moment in particular that really got me and I was like, this is fucked up. This is the most evil evil thing that anyone has ever had to face in their entire lives was when they can't she's reading like um i don't know what she's reading but she's reading something and it's detailing all the worlds that they've conquered and it's like mm. this world we left because the source was, was was too unruly or this world we left because they couldn't sustain us and it was all these like experiments to, they were trying to find the perfect food source and then you literally find out that they've opened a rift in the world and led people to what they consider to be like a, they've basically made themselves a buffet this world is like, it's so fucked up. And I, I, you literally are like, how are they going to stop this? I loved this part where you yeah. kind of figured out that they're actually all from different areas. And without the Asteri, they never would have met no, because never. they would have all lived on different worlds. But the fact of the matter is, is that they are all fae. Mm -hmm. They're just different types of fae. Rigolus confirms that they're trapped in Midgard by Bryce's fae ancestors. And that he intends to use her to reopen the, the gate uh, and enact his revenge. Who are Bryce's ancestors? Who sealed them in there, huh? The fuck? So, at this point, the Astri could have left. Mm -hmm. They could have gone on to the next world and left everybody as it is. But they can't because of Bryce's family. It's nuts and I love it. Yeah. It's batshit <laughs> is what it is. This is when the book got good. Yeah, so we've, they've been captured now too. Yes, they have been captured. So Bryce, Hunt, Rune, at this point, it's revealed that the hind is day bright. Oh, I'm so shocked. <laughs> I know revealed is a loose term. <laughs> uh, she leaves Bryce's shackles open mm -hmm. as she and Pollux takes Bryce, Hunt and Rune to the Astri. Mm -hmm. Bryce is able to free Hunt and Rune and escape through with a portal. So obviously they, they manage to get out somehow and then immediately get trapped again and drag to see Rigolus who's like nope well guess what this is the whole big reveal Bryce you're gonna help us whether you like it or not basically like savage yeah so she 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 jumps through a portal and then suddenly she's not with them anymore but obviously she had to jump through that portal because it was the only way out yeah and she had to leave them behind which yeah. is the most heartbreaking thing and so she thinks yeah. they're dead because she's had to yeah, yeah. Uh, really upset me at this point. Rune, Hunt and Baxian are left behind when she goes through this and mm -hmm. Rigolus brands Hunt with a brand new slave mark. This disappointed me something. Terrible. Oh, so, yeah, I was so upset by this. And I was like, anything but this. Torture him, fine, but anything but this. They knew that really it was the worst thing they could do to him. I know. And it really upset me. Like, could they have done this to Rune too? I don't know, with him being like, technically like fail royalty. They would have just kept him, honestly. It's probably a way to like control 
the kingdom now as well because now they can say to the Orton King look we have your only heir your other one's dead because they'll probably just tell the Orton King that Bryce mm. is dead because Orton King's not going to give a shit this whole time the hind's like she's in Rune's head and she's like Rune please talk to me yeah, please because she's, and she's like... somehow managed to get away with not being noticed that she's a double agent I know she's she's good she's good this, this broke my heart well she'd have to be good at this point she's been doing it for such a long time in such in front of such powerful people mm. oh yeah should we get to the part that made this a much better book than it should have been? Yes. <laughs> so at this point, once Hunt is branded with his new slave mark, the next chapter starts with Bryce waking up in a world she doesn't recognise. Mm -hmm. She wakes up, says that she wants to go to the Princes of Hell. She only knows two of them. Does not recognise the fag that is speaking to her doesn't recognise the language. Mm -hmm. She gets taken to the court where she meets a group of fae <laughs> who is led by one resand. The multiverse no, confirmed. The multiverse Dun, confirmed. So she can't understand what they're saying. They can't communicate. But then she starts speaking the uh, old language of the fae. And Amran's like, what the fuck? No one's spoken this language here for 15,000 years. But obviously she can, can communicate with Amran then. And I think I think Reese does speak that. Yeah, too. Reese can yeah. as well. So when he appears, they can communicate, and he asks her her name. That's the line, right? Hello, Bryce Quinland. My name. My is name Reese. is Reesand. And I about died. I turned into a puddle on the floor. Again, I hadn't read Akatar at this point, so I'm like, who the fuck's Reesand? I recognise the same. Who is this oh, person? God. <laughs> oh, I can't imagine having read this without having read Akatar. It blew my tiny mind. What blew my mind equal was when she sees Reese, and she's literally like, Rune. Yeah, because he looks yes. exactly the same as her brother. And I was like, what is going on? This explains so much. Purple eyes, midnight hair. Oh. Oh. This is why I loved him so much. because he... The skin tone. <laughs> Emma plagues this as the idea as to why she loved Rune so much because he is recent. <laughs> and obviously you've got to remember that the sword, oh my God, the face sword has a counterpart that's a dagger. It's fucking Truth Teller. It's Asriel's Blade. Asriel's Blade, the Truth Teller, is missing a sword. Like, I've seen reviews for this book when people have adored this, like us, and it's taken it up to being a much higher rated book. And other people that are like devastated and that absolutely hated it. So I think we all, it's all fair to say, safe to say that we all lean on the side of good, that we liked this. I've got, I can't really understand why people don't like it. You can't have a multiverse and not make it a multiverse. Yeah. Like, if you're going to have these intermingling parts where like Azriel's missing the sword from his his dagger mm -hmm. and then in this series you find out that the sword that Bryce has got is missing the dagger mm -hmm. like you you can't have them not meet you can't have that multiverse be a multiverse without the characters meeting at some point also, what's the point otherwise also we can't spend 20% revealing what is probably the greatest threat there has ever been <laughs> to any fucking land in the Sarah J Mass universe and then going, oh, this is all going to be fixed by one tiny little half-fae, half-human redhead. No, we need help. We've already established that the people in Crescent City cannot fix this. Just to finish it, can we just talk about how shit, unnecessary and off-base the epilogue was? Oh, God. I thought we could just leave it here and pretend that didn't exist. Ethan learns what's happened in the Eternal City. He begs the wolf mystic to wake up and help him save his pack, which she does. And it ends the book. Why? 
why we didn't want to read that i didn't want to turn another page i read hello bryce quinlan my name is recent and i turned the page and we we had ethan and i was so disappointed mm-hmm. but yeah that was such a shit ending for me and it really disappointed me that she went with that as the epilogue i thought it was pointless a waste and took all that hype all that like holy crap oh my god the multiversing and everyone's mingling and oh where's this gonna go to oh great ethan again (laughs) yeah when it comes to characters that i want to see i'm 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 curious obviously i want to see like bryce and feyre meet and i want Mm. bryce to meet more and i wanted to have that like proper female connection Mm -hmm. i want some answers given to people and i want bryce to be in the know for the change (laughs) because she's i always feel like she's always a step behind she's always playing catch up to other people's drama i just this i just want to know what's going on i've never really bought the fact that the autumn king is ruin's dad because they just look polar opposites of each other he's like this pale long-haired red-headed he looks like bryce he doesn't Mm. look like rune and we don't know much about rune's mom and I just, it's, it's just something fishy. Why would he look identical to Recent? Out of like Throne of Glass and Akatar, I want Aelin to meet Recent because I think that that's going to really test Rowan to such an extent because I think Recent <laughs> and Aelin are so similar in the way that they're just going to tease each other constantly and wind each other up to a point where it's just going to end up in like who's got the bigger balls between Aelin and Recent. And Rowan's just going to be like, can we put a stop to this, please? Can we be serious? I feel like Aelin and Amran could like. Oh, they'll bond immediately. They will love each other. Because Aelin has a thing for female characters anyway. She loves all the female characters immediately. So she's going to get on with all of them. Like, she's still... I think she's really going to like Bryce. And I think she's going to like Feyre. But I'm excited to see how she interacts with the boys. Because I think that's when her personality comes out. So I'm excited for that. But I don't know. I think Feyre to me... I really like Feyre as a character. But I don't see how she's going to interact with anyone from Crescent City. And it be any kind of monumental interaction you know i think it's mostly just going to be reese that's going to be the kind of driving factor of akatar coming into this i guess it's going to depend on where where in the akatar timeline it falls as well. i want it to be amran that is the driving factor <laughs> because that bitch knows something i know she does we could talk about it forever it's a never-ending possibility emma final thoughts like I said before, I think I'm going to skip this when I come to do my rereads. When this is a finished series, this is going to be that one filler book that I look back on and go, eh, that one was fine. But I, even though I did have a lot of criticisms, both about the characters, the book, I still really liked it. It's still Crescent City at the end of the day. It's still Sarah J Maas. I'm looking forward to seeing how she's going to tie it all together. I, it's it's already like a clusterfuck of characters. So oh, how is it going to work? I don't know. I just need her to keep everybody self, everybody safe. Everybody alive and tell me who the fuck Hunt's dad is. And then I'll be happy. It's your only question. <laughs> Who's Hunt's dad? Are you kidding me? No, I have a lot more questions, but that's the one that's niggling me. I'm the same with you, Emma. I'm, I'm not going to bother rereading this book. I will just re-listen to this podcast when I need the catch-up <laughs> next January. <laughs> that will do it. That will do it. I think this book could have been shorter. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think... I do still like the book and of course I'm going to read the third one and I'm going to enjoy the fact that I've been a part of this universe building mm-hmm. multiverse. You'll always have me and Emma as well to fill in the gaps for you if it ever connects with Throne and Glass so you'll be fine. Yeah. No, you're going you're gonna to want to read it, I swear. Because <laughs> you're going to feel how I felt because I, I was adamant I wasn't going to read Akatar because I'd only heard it was about fairy porn basically. So I was adamant I wasn't going to read it until 
they got introduced. I think that's going to happen as soon as Aelin gets introduced. You're going to want to see for yourself what she's like. Yeah. In a sense, this book did a very good job of setting us up to what's going to come next and to, and to answer our much needed But it could questions. have been so much more. It could have been so much more. I agree. Perfect way to sum it up. Yeah. On our next episode, we will be reviewing The TikTok Sensation, Fourth Wing by Rebecca Yaros. I am so excited about this. So, so excited about this one. Will dragons become your latest obsession? Yes. Obviously. <laughs> Can we really trust the bad boy senior Zayden? Yes. <laughs> sure, let's go with that. <laughs> will Violet be able to handle the intensity that comes with becoming a dragon rider? Kinda. <laughs> hopefully uh, you'll have to stick around and find out before I say my goodbyes please follow us on Instagram at booksbeforebrospod tell your friends like rate and subscribe thank you that's it from us I'm Emma I'm Charlotte I'm Masala <laughs> and you've been listening to Books, Books Before, Before Bros. Bros bye <laughs>